I want to be star records with Neil Newton Newts from the Angelica, yeah. from the Angelic Upstarts of the Northeast. Uh, generally, when I, I do interviews, start from the beginning. So, uh, uh, how, how did music and punk rock first come around for you? Uh, music became uh, became aware of it more through the visual aspect initially with uh, I remember being mesmerized as a kid watching Wizard and Roy Wood with all the all the, the makeup on and that you know and without really understanding what it was all about because I was only very young and then punk came along and it, again it was the visuals but it was also the energy I'd never heard anything like it and it was exciting and my parents couldn't stand it so I knew it was good because they couldn't you know they just didn't like it I thought that's for me um, but without understanding what um, a lot of the stuff, the the first wave bands were, were singing about, it wasn't until the upstarts came along that uh, they slid everything into view. And because they were writing about things that affected me and, like, you know, around me, like, and uh, I'm from the same town as the upstarts, South Shields. So what they were writing about, well, some, some things they were writing about you know, it just made sense, and and I, that's when it clicked for me. Um, but also, I looked and I thought when I was watching the likes of the Pistols and the Damned and that, the, the London bands and what have you, they seemed so far away and out of touch. Uh, no, sorry, not out of touch. I mean, without out of reach. And uh, but with the upstarts, I realised that even local lads, you know, from like round my neighbourhood, could pick up a guitar and join a band. Um, which obviously was the whole punk DIY ethic, and uh, th that was it. It changed. It changed the, the course of me, course of my life really, because I was, I was going down a different path, shall we say. So when, when did you when did you first see the upstarts then? Oh, fool. the upstarts. Well, I was still only I was still only at school, so I was only like sort of watching them on on the telly and and like so that I never actually got to go to a gig because the they were they were far too violent to tell you the truth. Um, I mean the, the the crack was you know you went to a fight and an upstarts gig broke out, so <laughs> there was always there was sort of besides at the time I was involved with with football as well heavily. Well, I started out with football really uh, before music came along and. Uh, that tends to the different path I was talking about, but uh, but really, yeah, uh, I didn't get to see them in the early days. I was still still quite young. Yeah, I saw them 1981 when I was 13 for the first time in uh, in Edinburgh, uh, which was they had Infrared supporting and they did a an under 18 gig. Uh, yeah, and I remember it being quite electric and uh, quite. Quite quite intensive at the time, you know, and uh, I think that's that's why I, I associate with punk rock as at that time in my life because you, you have a lot of you have a lot of questions, but you also have a lot of uh, of uh, I suppose anger about you know where you're going and what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And uh, you're probably right that the, the second wave of punk bands kind of like you can associate uh, a lot more because. They, they they probably came from the same streets that uh, that you came from. Uh, well, with the upstarts, with the upstarts, it just it, it kind of I think is a term. Uh, you, you you look back on it like I understood punk with the upstarts. So then I looked at what the I look back at what the Pistols had been singing about, and the likes of oh, obviously the class were, you know, the self-explanatory that. Uh, and uh, the damned and like so that and so in the buzzcocks i was like oh so that's what it's about so i got a i got a uh how would i phrase it i got a second second burst of it if you like because the first time was just purely on the visual and the and the you know and the sound and the energy coming from it and then when i look back having understood it better with the upstarts then I got I got the full understanding of what it was all about, you know. So, um, yeah, an education. And you picked up a guitar. What what age did you pick up the guitar then for the first time? I was thirteen years old. I'd uh, I'd been <laughs> I'd been in a little bit of trouble, and uh, which involved getting 
getting me testicles bit. And I thought, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't really for me, you know. Um, so I thought, well, I'll I'll pick up a guitar instead, and and I, that that was it. I just sat in the, I kept away from the the places I'd been um, previously, and just sat and just put every record on that I could, and just sat and and learned, and that was it. I I had my guitar with us from morning, noon till night. I was sitting on the toilet playing the guitar. It was. Uh, <laughs> Just a total, just took us down a totally different path. I'll always be grateful to the upstarts for helping us understand punk and for, you know, giving us the inspiration to believe that I could, I could do something like that, you know. So, so you self-taught yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Did you get any lessons at all? No, I just picked up the, yeah, uh, well... I'm saying lessons. There was a lad over the road to me. He'd got into he'd got into keyboards. So he had a he had a I think it was I think it was like some kind of correspondence course. And he had some books left over from it, and some tapes. And it was essentially just like music theory, uh, blended with like the the blues scales, very basic. And I started playing along with that. You know, you know when you're learning something, but you don't realise what it is that you're learning. You just yeah. all right, oh, well, that's how a chord works, and this, that, and it's other. And it was my dad actually who uh, he come along and he heard his, he heard his strumming. I was trying to learn the the bollocks album, you know. And uh, my dad says, "Yeah, try and learn this, will you?" And it was an Eddie Cochran record. So I put the record on. And I'm strumming along with it, and and I says, "Yeah, dad I says I was a piece of piss that man." I says, it sounds like the pistols. My father went, check the date it was recorded, you stupid bastard. And I looked on, it was like, you know, like 50s and that. And, oh, so the, the pistols and legs have got it from, aye. And the penny dropped again, you know. So, so but yeah, that's, that's essentially where it was from. And then watching other people, knocking around with other people in bands and who were already in bands, a neighbour, uh, was going out with a neighbor up top of my street was going out with a with a ladder was in a band and uh, that's how I really got my introduction into it. I was was fifteen at that time, been playing a guitar a couple of years and uh, he says, Would you like to come along and roadie for me band? And and that was it. And you get introduced to all these other players and your peers and what have you. And oh you want to listen to this, you want to listen to this you know band or this musician. And it all went from then, you know. See, one of, one of the questions that I, I raised with All Out Attack yesterday, or maybe it was a statement that kind of like punk rock seemed to have two pockets when everybody moved away from punk, either into electro, hip-hop, house, or, yeah. or whichever uh, of, uh, genre. Uh, but punk in, in Sunderland and County Durham seemed to survive throughout the yeah. 80s and uh, the, the 90s, and in Scotland as well. You know, in because I used to live in Livingston, so I kind of like you know I, I I grew up there, and and I knew that Livingston still had a, a mad a mad punk community, you know, and it, it, it probably you know it still has to from from what I can see, you know. So it, it's why do you think Sunderland kind of like was able to keep the mantle going? It's hard. Well, I don't know really. I suppose it's still it, it's still strong. It's still a punk stronghold, um, but I, I don't know. It's uh, I think perhaps I'm going to have to choose my words very carefully how I say this because uh, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a, a Macam, so I'm a I'm a Jordy. So of course, as soon as a Jordy says something about Macams, they instantly think that like they're having a pop. But it's, I think, I think Sunderland tended to, for whatever reason, there was a resistance to, well, maybe it's not a resistance, but there was, there wasn't as much change as there has been in the likes of Newcastle. Newcastle's a bit more, uh, I don't think it's unfair, I don't think it's, it's unfair to say that Newcastle is a bit more cosmopolitan. Than, than Sunderland in many ways, and you've you've got a lot of different uh, 
you've got a lot of a lot of attention get a lot more attention gets focused on Newcastle than it is on Sunderland. So perhaps maybe the it was a bit less cosmopolitan in many ways. I mean. I'm not really qualified to give a, a, a social commentary on the, the finer details of it, but for whatever reason, Newcastle seemed to, you know, they, they had a, there was, oh, what's, what's, mm, I, do, I, do, I wouldn't, I can't even find the words to describe what I'm trying to say. Without it, so without it coming out, um, sounding, like I'm dissing, dissing Sunderland, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to sort of to understand why that may be. Because I still, you know, that there's there's still a massive and really sort of tight knit punk community in Sunderland, uh, whereas Newcastle have they've tended to branch out a bit more and. Uh, there's still a punk scene there, but there's there's new metal. There's there's a lot more indie. Uh, where there's a lot less, perhaps, in, in Sunderland. But there's still some indie bands have come out with Sunderland. Future Heads, I suppose, you could class as indie. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's possibly Newcastle's a little bit more cosmopolitan, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, obviously, I think Sunderland had the bunker as a, as a kind of like, as a, as a hub or a community hub for for bands yeah. to feed off, and when 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 you when you 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 have a community, you you need somewhere where you can thrive, thrive Mate, from. And Gate said you had the station, right. yeah, and to a, and to a lesser extent, you had the Newcastle Riverside as well. Yeah. Although Newcastle Riverside brought on a a, a lot wider range than than just like your sort of your punk and your hardcore scene. You know, they had all sorts. I mean. Happy Mondays and I think Stone Roses started there and then you had all your teenage fan club and you had you had a whole host of different things where if Sunderland tended to stick and Gate said the station tended to be more focused on the on just on the on the punk community. So what was the what was the first band that you, you joined or formed? Oh, the the very first band I formed. Well, it wasn't so much a, a band as such. We just all got together to to see what it would sound like out of the bedroom and actually in a rehearsal room. And it was uh, it was it was a total disaster because we didn't have a clue about the gear we were using or nothing. It was just a it was just a cacophony of feedback, uh, swearing, and cheap lager. You know that was the that was sort of like the like the scene, and uh, but I do recall doing a the, the first song that I did. Uh, sorry, the first song that we played was an upstart song, but uh, it was it was Mana Spandau, which not have no idea about the who the who the guy was. It just had a catchy it had a catchy chorus of it, you know. Yeah. Let him go. I just just like that chorus, and I just wanted to play an upstart song, and that was about the easiest one we had, you know. We did that, and we did a, a couple of damned songs, which sound damned awful, <laughs> but that's you'd expect. It's it's your first time, you know. Yeah, I mean, the only bass line I can probably still play is "Please Suppress It," you know. Die. That I, I can't play a musical instrument, but that was the only one that I could pick up when I was a teenager. Um, so who, who was the, the, the first band that you, you kind of like you took or were taken seriously uh, I messed around with a few local bands and then I, I you mentioned bass I got into uh, in, they were an indie band called the Sunflowers and I went for an audition from them uh, it was kind of spur of the moment thing they looked like they had a bit more professionalism about them uh, and it looked like they were going places um for one thing they had a manager which was like oh there must be a you know a, a bit of a, a step above instead of just playing around like local local pubs and that you know so i just thought oh I'll, I'll give it a whirl and and that was it went in nailed nailed a couple of the songs and away we went was saying the clothist uh clothist label in I think the one Portobello Road, London. 
um, and yeah, did a few few tours and shows and recorded a few singles with them. And uh, that was the first the first real serious band. And then, and then from there, did you join the uh, the the High Five Spitfires? Is that right? Uh, from there, the uh, I, t- I took I took time out because I'd, uh, I had a young family at the time, and I'd I'd devoted all my energies into the sunflowers, and then the sunflowers folded. So I thought, oh, I've got to knuckle down and provide for my family instead of getting off and going on to us. So I had two years out, but. <laughs> Once it's in your blood, you know. I mean, Strummer says once you, once you, you know, take like the mafia. Once you're in, once you're made, you cannot leave, you know. And uh, after two years working night shift in a factory, I went fuck that, <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah. that. Where's me, you know? And I got a, a chance to uh, playing bass in another band again. And then, uh, but I five Spitfires. I was in the upstarts at the time. So I was still yeah. in the upstarts. Yeah, and uh, Steve. Steve Strawn now in the UK subs, smashing lad. He uh, he says, "Oh, can you? Would you mind coming and help me out on a tour?" Uh, says, "Yeah, sure, no problem. I think I did about three tours with them, you know, and uh, good fun. I enjoyed it." So then, for all the world. Yes, yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, so when did you join the Upstarts then, and how how did that come it about? Was. I seen a I seen an advert for they didn't say who it was it just says uh, punk band requires a guitarist and I thought oh punk band I I was in that was in around about the January I think January of two thousand and six and then I went along uh, went for the audition it was at a rehearsal studio and fell in did the rehearsal and then I found out who the who the band was and. Uh, Tried hard to conceal me. Oh, oh, oh the upstarts. Oh, I, oh, I. That's just so. This is bizarre. <laughs> Who else was in the band at that time? At that time, there was Dekawid. Um, There was on bass. There was Mr. Gaz Gaz Stoker. Um, there was Lee Lee Wright, who's in cra- who's uh, crashed out. That. Um, but that's whose that's whose spot I was taking because he was leaving, so I was replacing him. Um, and Dickie Hammond from uh, Leatherface and a whole host of other bands. Um, but Dickie wasn't there at the time; he was on tour with Leatherface. So for the first for the first month or so, I didn't I didn't get to see him, you know. But uh, but yeah, that, that was around about the February two thousand and six, and then had the audition and got the job, and that was it. What was it like working with uh, Menzi? Well, the we'd had a few rehearsals, and I had to pass the audition with with the gaffer, you know. So I went through a couple of songs and that, and uh, he's. I think he does it. Um, well, I know he does. He's, he he likes a certain he likes a certain character in his band, and you come up and you put you on the spot and you put you under pressure. And there's a method. Sorry, I just had a phone call coming in there. Um, he wants to see if you can if you can handle the pressure. So he deliberately puts it on you and tries to unsettle you. So uh, that's that's what he did. And but when you when you're confident with what you're playing and confident in your own ability then that stands you in good stead. And I went through the songs and, you know, to his, obviously to his satisfaction, but he, there was a point where he was giving us the, he was laying the law down what he expected from, from his band members and which way it was sitting with, there was Decker, Gaz, uh, Dickie and Lee, I think were, were sitting behind him. And sort of he had his back to them and he was giving us the old right. Here's what I expect of you. I want no getting nay getting pissed before the show. What you do afterwards, I didn't care. Now the lads were sort of sitting behind going like that and trying to make us laugh. And I'm like, yes, Mr. Mensfath, no, Mr. Mensfath, yeah, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, he's, I found him, if you do your job, I found him quite easy to, to go along with. If you fucked up, then he didn't suffer fools gladly, you know. So you got a uh, you got a bollocking because it's all about. Sorry, yeah. go on, go on, go on. 
so because it's all about the it's all about people coming to see the show it's all about people who not only you know pay hard-earned money but they've took like an hour a couple of hours out of their of time out of their life to, to come along and, and come and see us. So if you give them less than 100%, then, then you know, you're, you're, you're ripping people off. You know, you should be giving 100% all the time. And sometimes through, you know, you might be feeling a bit poorly and you're not sort of physically 100%. But if you go in there, you know, getting pissed or you store your, your planes, you know, shite, he, he wouldn't have it, you know. He says, look, he says, the upstarts, he says, I don't want the band going on the slide. There's a certain level, a certain standard, and the anybody in the band, you know, mustn't fall below that standard, which is which is entirely fine, you know. I, f- I find him quite, he was quite a, quite a, I suppose, quite a, a reserved person at times. You know, yeah. it, it took me to be in his company probably about six or seven times before he kind of like, he opened up and started talking and kind of like, you know, he, even even that was a probing question about my political background and, you know, mm-hmm. you know my, my political background has always been the same, so it's, it's never changed. Yeah. So, you know, I was okay from there and then he opened up and, you know, he was a much friendlier person after that. You know, yeah. but and, and I, I, I did, a, I went to that pipeline gig that you did in London yeah. Right. And that that was the first time I think I'd seen the band since '87. I did a little review of it, and I kind of I remember in the early '80s he he always looked that he was quite weary when he was on stage, and he looked a lot more relaxed at Pipeline than than I remember in the early '80s. Yeah. You know, and 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 I I, I thought I actually thought that lineup the band were were tighter than the, the 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 band that I used to see fairly regular, you know, and, and that that that's a good thing because that's you know to to keep playing the songs thirty years, forty years down the line, and to to keep the consistency or maybe improve it is, is not an easy thing to do. I remember that gig. Well, we played it twice, and I remember the the very first time they didn't have any air conditioning in. It was brutal. We were soaked. Can you remember? I, I went to the second one. I didn't do the first one. Oh, it was it was ridiculously, but it was a fantastic gig because they were right in your face, and yeah, you know, I mean, we've played all all types of shows with everything from like really small shoe boxes to to uh, we played a football stadium and big festivals, and but them gigs where they're right in your face in the pipeline both times were. Uh, well, it really special because it was it was just like what you see back in the back in the day, you know. No no barrier between band and band and audience. It was excellent. Really enjoyed it. Like yeah, no, like I said, I, 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 I've I've probably the best time that I saw the band, and uh, you know that's a, a, a credit to uh, to everybody that was in the band at that time, you know. Uh, you obviously played around the world quite a lot with the upstarts. Have you have you got any memorable gigs? Any favourite places to play? Oh, Germany's always good. The the continent uh, around Europe really really good. Um, I think they're more geared, particularly Germany, are more geared towards uh, taking care of bands, and they make it a, a and it's a much more relaxed experience because you, you know you, you get into places and you know that the, you know you've, there's a room there for you and you know they get prepared because you don't need to prepare for a show and uh, Germany France fucking hell um Oh, what? How many memories? <laughs> Just lots of road, but yeah. some of the some of the scenery, particularly in Switzerland. Oh man, you know you're driving along. It's a Tuesday. You, you're driving a few hundred, few hundred miles to the next venue. You had a, you know, you had a, a hard load out the night before. Because we didn't have any crew, we just did it all ourselves. So you do the gig, you, you pack it after the gig, then you're loading the gear out, you're getting back to your hotel, two in the morning, you're up, you're on the road again by seven, not much sleep, and then you're in the van, it's a Tuesday, and it's oh, another couple of hundred miles, and then you look out the window, 
and then you you're going past the Alps and and you you know and you're looking and you're thinking, what would I be doing now if I was on night shift in that factory? I thought I'd be in my bed and then getting all pissed off and depressed, and I thought, ah, fucking love it. I love the whole thing. It's great being on the road because you just don't know what's you you just don't know what's going to be at the next venue. That even venues you played before, you'll meet new people. You'll get people who will come up that you haven't seen for perhaps a few years. And oh, how are you doing? And you know, and it's a, it's it's a wonderful experience. And there's there's so many memories. It'd be hard to to pin down, you know, one in particular or a couple because it's it's just the whole experience is it's just fantastic. You're always learning, you know. And, I think that's a great thing, like. Yeah. Yeah, you played Livingston a couple of times because I've seen the videos yeah. and uh, they they seem to be a bit of a riot from uh, from yeah. uh, the, the, the videos I've seen, you know, and I know the yeah, characters. Yeah, I've a lot in Livy. Yeah, I know the <laughs> characters as well, so, you know, it's uh, it looked like they're both of them really? like good gigs, you know. It's one oh, of I loved Scotland. Yeah. We used to, men's used to, you know, the promoter of the Big Egg, he used to put one uh, around about the Christmas time. And yeah. we used to love our Jones up there. I was, oh, we're going to, oh, we're going to Scotland at Christmas again. Yeah, yeah. We're, oh, brilliant, you know. We used to always look forward to that. So the, it's quite easy to put the upstarts in as a, 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 a kind of like a, a thrash uh, punk band. But the reality is that, Menzi took a lot of a lot of chances with music when other bands weren't. You know, yeah. if you if England was a, a, a stretch away from what most punk bands were doing at the time, Thieves Lament, uh, I understand, uh, and then the 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 eighty two album, still from the heart, still from the heart, yeah, which is totally different from from anything else at, at that time. Uh, was it then difficult for you to do a, a, a set of, of upstart songs when it was time to uh, nail things down? Because I presume you didn't want to play the same songs over and over no. again, but you, you had to play certain songs yes. as, a, as an expectancy. Yeah, there's, uh, one thing about men's he's always wanting to try something always wanted to try something different, always open to trying something different. And, uh, you know, he'd, I'd get a phone call off him regular and, well, probably every day he'd, he'd ring up, how are you doing? All right, Newts. I'm like, all right, men's. I've had this idea. And he'd think, yeah, we'll go. You know, where's this going? And uh, he'd just come up with just mad. Eye. But we en- it, it was enjoyable in a way because as a musician, if he lands at something on you, it's a challenge to you. So, oh, oh, I'll try that. And you go and explore it. Like, for example, Anti-Nazi. Um, great song written by Tony Tony Van Freda, God rest him. And uh, he says, oh, we've had a, an inquiry from a... There's an anti-fascist uh, label wanting to put out a compilation album. So... He says, I want to do, I'll give them anti-Nazi. He says, but, he says, I want to do something different with it. He says, I don't just want to go bang, there we go. He says, can you try and do something different? He says, I'm thinking along the lines of, uh, he's like, a, excuse me, I'm thinking along the lines of a, a Celtic folk song. So I was like, right. Um, so I, I, I looked up the, what's Celtic music, the, the modes, the, the favoured mode for Celtic music. So, and I think, from I think it's Mixolydian mode or something, something like that. You know, them. Remember them books I was talking about yeah, that yeah. I got way back. I remember the modes from it, and it, it gives you like sort of different flavours. Um, so this particular mode is been used heavily by Celtic music. So I, I wrote it to that, and then we recorded it. Went down, uh, went down to his pub. He put the vocals over the top of it, and poof, that was it, you know, where it went. So it was like a, there's a folk version, Celtic folk song of Anti-Nazi out there now. Um, but uh, things like that, he would he would do different all the time. Oh, fuck. Oh. And he was, I tell you, he was, he was a bugger for this. To, just to keep you on your toes, he'd just throw you a curveball. 
And I remember him once in, I think, well, uh, I think we might have actually been in, in Wales. We might have been playing Cardiff. And uh, he says, oh, he says, you know, I love that. I love the sensational Alex Harvey band. Let's do Delilah. <laughs> right. Fucking hell. Probably put one of my toes that time. Proper curve. Well, we did a like. Yeah. You know, we did it. In the, oh, no, it was Leeds. It was at the Broodnell. It was Leeds Broodnell. It was a Christmas gig that we did it. Aye. Fucking hell. But he would do that all the time. Just to, just to shake it up, you know? Yeah. You keep your sharpen on your toes. But you need to, don't you? You know, you can't oh, like, you, you, do, you, yeah. you need Mentally, you need to have variation with what you do. Yeah. It just gets... It gets... Uh, oh, it can get to the point where you feel you're going through them, going through the motions. But the, you know, the professional from a professional point of view, you've got to put that that sort of face on. To you know, even though you think I'm fucking sick of playing this night in night out, you've still got to look like it's brand new. And but to be fair, with the upstart songs for for me personally, it was uh, I was I love the songs. I'm a I'm a fan of the band. Massive fan of the band, and I was like, yeah, I'm hearing these songs. I, I love these songs. Fucking hell, I'm actually playing these songs, and I'm getting into the gig for now. <laughs> it was win-win, you know. The, uh, the, so, the, the, the one song that kind of like if if I've been out running and I've got no headphones on, I'd always start singing in my head, maybe a bit loud. Loneliness of uh, the the long distance runner. Somehow it would always come into my head at some point, and I would, I was, all, I would always sing it. And that's one that I always felt that you kind of like you should have played, you know, live a, yeah. a, a bit more. You know, it's kind of like even though I was never close to him, I think the the difficultness of of uh, Tommy dying, and uh, I think it's quite a, a difficult time, you know, for society or for for the yeah. working class people because this is uh, probably the, the time in our lives where we need leaders and uh, I would say Menzi was very much a, a leader Oh, without a doubt yeah, without a doubt he's, uh, he's quite a he's a large, large personality and uh, quite a dominant personality as well, you know uh, sorry, dog hairs fucking they get all over Um. Yeah, he was quite a. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. He's a, he's a massive personality, especially on the punk scene. And I think uh, a lot of. I got the impression, even as a fan, with the upstarts, and I still and I still got this impression that the uh, the likes uh, some bands on the scene. There was a kind of like it, like a. Uh, the scene at the time sort of had Menzi and the upstarts outside with their noses pressed to the window looking in on, on that scene. And I think the upstarts were like the, were like the oh, you don't play with them kids down the block, they're the rough kids. And I think there was a, a bit of an arm's, arm's length relationship with that scene and the likes of the upstarts and in particular Menzi. Because he, you know, he, he spoke his mind and you, you took him, you know, he's like Marmite. I think, you know, I either loved him or you hated him. And, uh, but the one thing you got from him was he, he stuck, to, stuck to what he said, you know. And I think, I think perhaps some thought, oh, fuck, this, we're playing at this a little bit. This fella in his band are the real deal. I think there might have been uh, a bit. I mean, I'm talking about well before. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, what's swagging around, we're the real deal. I'm not talking about that in the in the, the context of today. I mean, back in the day, looking at it as a fan, it's like, you know, people talk about the pistols, they talk about the class, and they talk about the damned, and rightly so. But to me, the upstarts are, are up there as well. You know, but there's, there's a bit of a, you know, the tent is sort of, oh, the upstarts, it's, it's a bit like that. I, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm explaining myself there properly, but uh, I, they were like the the rough kids from the estate that uh, people were wanting not to play with, you know. 
the only studio album that you played on was Bullingdon Bastards. Is that right? No. No. Two. Okay. Uh, it was the split uh, album with Crashed Out we did called yeah. The Dirty Dozen. Uh, Christ, when was that recorded? <laughs> Can't remember when it was recorded. Uh, Bullingdon Bastards, I think, was 2015. Uh, I think Dirty Dozen might have been about 2012 for the. If I if I was forced to guess, but uh, yeah, well, one and a half albums, if you like. Because <laughs> I I kind of I spoke to Menzi at the time because I would have fessed up the album uh, because that's what I, I I do for a living, and uh, yeah. we went with Aston and uh, and Boss Tunage. Uh, yeah. I used to I used to work with him, so I know him quite well. You know, Mister Okie Dokie. Uh, <laughs> You know, so he's a lovely lad. But that, that seemed to go quite down quite well for you. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's just, he came, uh, he came out and he just says, look, he says, I want to write an album. He says, I want to go back to, like, early days. He says, how we did, like, the Teenage Warning. He says, I want you to write it. He gave us, uh, he gave us three weeks to write the album. He says, I'll give you some song titles and bits of words. He says, and go away, he says, and, and write the album. So he gave us three weeks. Um, I did it in two. And uh, we used to, I used to go down to the pub. And so I've got this idea. I've got that idea of what words you got for this. you got a title for that. Um, and sometimes they were just choruses, sometimes uh, they were just song titles, sometimes there were verses, and I said, go with that and then add what you need, and that's what we did, really. Just And I'd, I had a chat with Mond, and I, I would say, look, how, how did you work with Menzi for that album, you know, and uh, just to try and recreate the same sort of working practices, because if you wanted to go back to that, I wanted to try and recreate the same working practices with the with the logic behind that being hopefully we will get sort of kind of near the, the same result. Um, he used the local studio, the garage in South Shields. And we, we went in there and we did it and got it recorded. Um, in the space of a week, two weeks, it was recorded. I think, um, I went in there. Yeah. About a, yeah, about a week, two weeks get recorded. The lads came in and had a listen. Um, you know, wrote that production notes down. Arnie did, like Johnny was drumming on the album. He wanted a few little tweaks here and there. And uh, Sport of Menzi, are you happy with this? Yeah, happy with that. Right, let's go. Boosh. And that was it. So. And it, and it sold, sold quite well. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's onto its. I think it's on to about its fifth or sixth repress now. That's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad. So, the, uh, unfortunately, the Menzi passed away, if I remember my, my dates right, in December. Yeah. Uh, and there was a, the, the memorial gig uh, was arranged. Uh, how, how did that uh, Work out uh, and, and who did the organising. Well, there was a, there was a little bit of awkwardness initially because after Menzi had passed, the the band says, "Well, what if, you know what we're going to do now?" So it was decided that they would do rather than be, you know be accused of like you know doing a few shows and then oh yeah just a tribute that now and you you're trying to squeeze you know. You know, the last few paydays out the upstart's name, the band decided that they would do Rebellion as one one final show to sort of draw a line under the upstarts, you know. Because Menzi always said many times that if the band ever started to go on the slide, he would end it. He wanted to keep the upstart's name up there. He didn't want to sort of end sort of, you know, where they the declined. So he said, I want to end on a high. And uh, we figured, well, Rebellion's arguably the biggest punk festival in the world, so what better place to 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 end it than there? So while we're making them plans, um, 
John Connor, who previously promoted the upstarts at a, at a few like the, these calling gig shows, had been making plans to do a memorial with uh, with Chris Wright from Crashed Out. It's, uh, Chris Chris stood in for Menzi for a year or so uh, yeah. back in 2006, 2007, um, before Menzi came back um, in 2008, I think so, yeah. So Chris would have been in around about two years, just shy of two years. Um, and he, uh, with John and Chris, had decided to, to do a memorial. And of course, we were along our road with our plans and then we got a bit blindsided with a with a memorial, so um, we decided that would would keep the rebellion show quiet, so Chris and John could get the you know as many tickets sold for the memorial show as possible and raise as, as much money. Um, so that's that's what happened. The the event, well as you know, the the gig sold out, raised over seven grand. So that was a that was a roaring success. Um, and and of course, predictably, a few days after that, when the rebellion show was announced, me inbox was full of "Oh, your tribute act now!" and blah. blah. I was like, "No, what happened was we'd already planned it," and blah blah, and so on and so forth. You know. So, but uh, as far as the the band's concerned, how we wanted to end it, that's that's how it's going to end at rebellion and draw a line under it and boom. That's it, because well, none of us wants to be in a in a fucking tribute band or a or a cover band, you know. And we're not doing it for the money, you know. So it's uh, it's it's just a chance for, and it's a chance for those who couldn't get to the Shields gig as well to to come along and, which we hope they'll do, and pay tribute, you know. You've got different singers at Rebellion. You've got Max singing. We've got uh, well. I've got. He has a he has an exclusive for you. <laughs> he has an exclusive because while we were uh, while you are doing what you are doing in the in the break, I got a I got an email from a from a very very special guest who's known Menzi for for well since since it started out. But uh, we've got yeah we've got Max. We've got uh, TV Smith. Um, there's a couple of news new ones uh, new acts. Uh, getting up as well because well new vocalists from new acts because Menzi was very keen to promote new talent new blood yeah well, it's, it's, all, it's always about it's always about new talent you know and yeah any scene can only survive if you've got new kids getting into it and uh, new bands coming through well as you said we're trying to get a good blend of people who knew him um, people who you know you respected and they respected him and uh, as well as a blender like local not local talent but uh, sorry new new talent coming through and that's kind of where we're in for it so we've got uh, max tv smith is uh, i think john rob's gonna compare and do it do a song or so um there's patty smith from red london now patty goes way back where with menzi uh yeah patty smith red london chris from crash out's getting up to do a couple um, Fee, who was so you would have seen it yeah. at Peel's gig, she's getting up as well. And uh, I've also oh, uh, Johnny from Gimpfist, yeah, he's gonna get up. And I've just had an email there from Sir Charles of Harbour who will be involved uh, at some stage of the, the proceedings. So there's an exclusive, <laughs> I'll just get in the email, but I'm not gonna announce all that until, until yeah. Saturday. Which yeah. is, uh, I think, we're about five or six weeks out from rebellion. So what day? Playing Saturday. So I'll announce that. Uh, I'll put a, a post up about that on Saturday, with all the, the final lists. So they they were the first punk band I went to see when I was twelve, in the uh, in the Middlesbrough Rock Garden, and uh, it was a, an under eighteen gig in nineteen eighty, and. Uh, you know, it just it just kind of like just attention, and uh, you know, it's just at that point, you know, we moved away from Middlesbrough in '73, but you know, it was my hometown, and I was visiting my grandparents. So I was like, I've got to go. Come on, I've got to go. So I went, and just attention, and to to experience that as your your first gig with Antipasti supporting was 
you know, quite a quite quite a, a thing to experience, you know. And then you, after yeah. that, you know, you get into that that road of going to see as many bands as as a good, you know, which which was quite difficult in the early eighties because kind of like punk gigs seems to get banned in Edinburgh from probably about the eighty two onwards, you know, and it yeah. was quite difficult. Uh, but that's great that you you that you've got the rebellion thing coming up and you've got some uh, some uh, some good singers lined up who's in the band this time it's the it's the same it's the same as who was it's uh it's shields there's andy on drums um there's john woodward on bass there's myself on guitar and mick robson on guitar so it's uh yeah, it's, I think the but prior to Mick Mick joining because I I went to uh, finish some uni work off, yeah. so Mick uh, Mick was drafted in the cover while I was off doing that, and when we were, well probably would have been doing more tours had uh, had Mency sort of recovered, uh, but unfortunately we just decided well look you know. I mean, the line up prior to that, before Mick joined, was myself, John, and Andy in Menzi. And we'd done a fair few tours and that, and were quite a stable lineup. And yeah, so it's just, it's, it's just keeping consistency. And because they just, if we haven't got the full, the full time, it's a rebellion to sort of bring guests on and off and like, other musicians wise so we're just gonna the band's just gonna do it with the the exception i think mr gaz is uh is gonna get up for one song for for rebellion on bass and because uh, he was he was uh had some service into the band as well yeah he had some amazing so i think yeah menzi me and gaz were the were the longest serving members in the band so it's uh you know, he should be there. Yeah. For at least one, so. So, yeah, just like, see, we've got an hour to pack all that in. So, I think it's going to be like a fucking relay race <laughs> over the mic. <laughs> but I hopefully we've got, uh, we've got John Robert, who I think's uh, going to try and keep it all yeah. on track, you know. But, uh, the fam- oh, of course, sorry, the family's going to be there as well. He's there as as the word shield. So rebellion. I've got to, got to say, yeah, rebellion have been have been fantastic with the the family too. They've you know they've uh, made sure that the you know the, the that took care of were it's accommodation and travel and what have you and you know all part of the rebellion family. You know, so I, I might not use this bit, but our Max and Dotty. It's uh, from what I can gather because I, you know, I'm just I just deal with the band and the, the yeah. family. Uh, uh, there's there's some uh, I gather the this hmm, uh, trying to be diplomatic about it. Uh, I, won't, I, won't, I, I won't use this bit, Neil. You know what I mean. So I'll cut this bit out. You know. I I know there's uh, I know there's problems with uh, so what they are the. I couldn't say, but I know that uh, we would have liked to have had Max down. Yeah. Because um, he, he loved getting on and singing, but he's still only a young Ben, and yeah. you've, got, you've got to consider how that might have affected him. Yeah. Getting on stage, and especially for his dad, you know, and yeah. uh, you've got to be very careful. Well, adults, it's a, it's a different thing. I mean, they can, they can tell you, look, it's not really for me. And, yeah. You know, so, but yeah, it's a, uh, We've got his family coming down, some representatives of his family, so it'll yeah. be nice to, for them to see. Because I don't really think the, I mean, obviously, obviously they're proud of him and uh, for what he achieved, but I, I don't really think the they understand fully the how much of a an impact the upstarts had on on people, you know. And uh, yeah. I think it's stunned them a bit to see that it shields. And if it's stunned them, it's shields. It's gonna, it's gonna knock them out. It's a rebellion, you know. So, well, he, but he, yeah. had, he had a lot of kids. Yeah, he was, uh, he was quite busy. Yeah, oh, I think uh, sixteen or seventeen kids he had. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought yeah. it was four, I, I thought it was fourteen, but if it, it's up to sixteen, seventeen, you know, that's uh, it's quite an achievement. Yeah, he's, he's made sure that his uh, his bloodline's been extended, <laughs> without doubt. So it's kind of like from picking up from what you've said, music's in your bloodline. You know, I know, yeah. I know you, you've gone to university and retrained, but uh, what's next for you then in 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 your musical path? Because I believe that it's something that you don't really want to give up. No, you can't. I kind of give it up. You, you, you kind of. I mean, you, you try it once, and then you realise that you, you just kind of. It's in your blood, and you know, I want to get back on the road again. And but I have enjoyed the having some time out to just have a look around. And because normally when when I was you know before lockdown and everything as i say menzi was on the phone usually every day and we're, we're talking about plans for the band and what should we do should we try this should we try that and you know and uh, and without and it got quite hectic because the last last couple of tours i was tour managing as well i was busy dealing with it i got given more responsibility by menzi to do this that and the other and uh and so my days were very, very full, but uh, now the the time that I've had off, it's it's been quite relaxed. And I thought, oh, I don't have to be phoning here, I don't have to be running there, I don't have to be emailing here. What am I going to do? What will I do? And I I gradually got into uh, film composition and scoring music for films, and and just you know just sitting with little film shorts and just trying to put music to it and I've been I've been studying that quite a bit as well so it's uh, it's it's perfect for lockdown because you're just you're like uh, some mad professor sitting away you know can you remember the rhubarb and custard cartoon yeah, yeah. where the dog was in the shed and hammering away and all that you know it's yeah. a bit like that you're sitting there tinkering and going oh I wonder what this will sound like and and, uh, and then you it opens a whole new world to you, you know, and uh, so I've been enjoying that. I'll still be writing some, I'll still be writing punk music because I love punk music, um, but I'll be, uh, I'll be exploring lots of other, lots of other new, new things, you know, which it's, uh, who wants to be stuck in a rut, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Neil Newts Newton for your time. And uh, good luck uh, with your next moves. You're very welcome, Ralph. Thank you very much.